You're listening to Sascapes, a podcast featuring the stories of arts, culture, and heritage in Saskatchewan. Canadian folk singer Eileen Laverty is on one heck of a musical journey. Eileen has performed with John McDermott, Mary Black, Tom Cochran, Kenny Rogers, and has appeared in most of the major Canadian folk, roots, and blues festivals. And that only scratches the surface. Eileen performs from the heart, and her honesty and authenticity shines through in all of her work. Beyond her musical accomplishments, Eileen is just a really great person. I'm Kevin Power, and on a rainy afternoon in Saskatoon, I join Eileen in her kitchen over a cup of coffee, and we muse and laugh about life, music, travel, teaching, and soccer. She may claim to have yet to find the balance in it all, but from my vantage point, Eileen has rested in a place of gratitude and contentment and remains open to each moment as life presents more opportunities. Eileen Laverty, you have the esteemed honor of being my 25th podcast guest. You're episode 25. Very excited. Very honored to be here. Thanks for coming along for the ride. Um, let me just sing your praises for a minute while you sit across the table from me in your lovely kitchen and blush. Um, you won the Prairie Music Award for Outstanding Roots Recording. Here's what CBC said about you. Laverty's charismatic attitude combined with her soulful sound has her ranked among the elite of Canadian folk singers. Not too shabby. Um, here's Dirty Linen Magazine's comment on your work. Laverty's songwriting shows a great deal of depth, and she has a fine sense of melody. It's her pure, rich voice that is her calling card. Well, if you have to have a calling card, that's as good a one <laughs> as any. So, let's start by telling me where you grew up. Oh, my goodness. Well, I, I was born in, in Belfast, Northern Ireland. And uh, my family immigrated to Canada when I was about six years old. And then I, uh, we moved around a little bit, but we finally settled in Saskatoon. So I very much consider Saskatoon my home. It's where right. I've grown up. When did you settle here? Oh, I think I, we moved to Edmonton. We were there for a year and then Regina for a year. And my uh, dad, through his work, was transferred. And we ended up at Saskatoon so a long time now. <laughs> right. So you were still pretty young when you got here. Oh, yeah. yeah. Eight or nine, I think. Right, but old enough that you remember much about growing up in in Ireland. Uh, I didn't really remember a whole lot about growing up in Ireland. I mean, like I said, a six-year-old, I remembered leaving, and I having gone back then many years later, I, I was surprised at the things that I did remember after seeing them again. But uh, no, I definitely very much, uh, very much a prairie girl. Yeah. Yeah, I went to school here in Saskatoon, and university and then uh, 
I after my four I did a four year English degree here at the University of Saskatchewan and then I went uh, I went back to Ireland and I finished my teacher training. So I got to intern in Belfast and very, very fond memories of that as well. So were you were you creative um, when you were growing up? Um, <laughs> I suppose as far as, you know, I always like making things, mm-hmm. you know, like all kids with crafts and glue sticks and things. Um, but musically? Musically, you... no, not yeah. at all. I, I'm, my parents are very musical. There was always music in the house, but... Uh, my uncle Des taught me how to play guitar. He showed me a few chords, and I was just very shy. Um, I was doing my best to be a soccer player. <laughs> I wanted to be a professional soccer player when I was younger, so I did a lot of training and played, and yeah, just took a diversion somewhere along the way. Ended up in a band, and here we are. But what led you to studying English in university? Um, loved stories, loved reading stories, and... Uh, particularly poetry. I loved um, my grade 11 teacher, Mr. Hurley, introduced me to WB Yeats and the world of poets, and yeah, there's no turning back. So I just loved literature and the storytelling particularly. All of my guests, or many of my guests, have talked about a teacher that's had a major influence right? on them. Tell me about Mr. Hurley. Oh, Mr. Hurley's a gem of a man, actually. I, I've met him for lunch recently. But there, were a, there were a few teachers who definitely um, had an impact on my upbringing. But uh, Mr. Hurley just always had a great sense of humor, very dry wit. He himself is from Ennis, Ireland, but D- Dublin. I studied in Dublin and uh, just always ready with a laugh and, and passionate about reading and poetry and uh, just always left an impression on me, I guess. Had you written poetry or short stories or anything when you were a kid? Mm, not not really. I wasn't. I, I wish I could say I have volumes of journals stashed <laughs> away somewhere, but no, I, I, I wasn't that person. I was always out. I don't know. I was more athletic, more sports minded, yeah. and um, I jotted a few things, but nothing, nothing to speak of. I wasn't that kid, no. Right. And so ultimately, you became an English teacher. Yes. Here in Saskatchewan first, in Saskatoon? Absolutely. I came back after my year of studies in at Queen's the University mm-hmm. in Belfast, and uh, I started subbing, and I, I ended up teaching um, at the school where I had graduated from here at ADF in high school no in Saskatoon. Kidding. Yeah, I taught there for a number of years, and like I said, I was training quite seriously to play soccer and uh, fell in with a band. My uncle got me involved in the Irish music scene here in town, and I took up with a, a group, um, Shimsa, we recall. We started a band, and we used to play just between here and Regina every few weeks. And, uh, I just got a taste of it, and I wanted to do more, so uh, that was it. And it was one song, actually. Uh, we used to play, it was a lot of traditional. We had a great fiddler, John Krasinski, and uh, Lillian Thorpe. She's great on the viola as well, and, and the whistle. And they were a great group, Um so it was mostly traditional, but they let me sing the odd ballad, <laughs> and I just wanted to do more of it. And we used to sing Doogie McLean's song, Caledonia, mm-hmm. which is uh, his, oh, it's a, an anthem now. And um, I just loved that song. I loved singing that song, and I was encouraged to do a recording of it. So that was what started it all, really, was trying to get that song recorded and ended up writing a few songs to go with it and ended up with an album and, yeah, never looked back. Have you been to Nova Scotia? I have only been once for a weekend. I managed to get there 
It, I love to get out there because I know yeah. the West or the East Coast music uh, scene yeah. is phenomenal, you know. I would love to go. I was there. I had a gig um, at the Pearl Theater mm-hmm. in Lunenburg. Mm-hmm. And I uh, I went out. I just flew out for the weekend. I felt very, very rock star-like. <laughs> but I had other commitments at home, so I could only go for four days. But I flew out and we tootled about and saw a bit of the sights. But I'm dying to get back. What is it about, because that's my original home, it, the, the, there's, the Celtic influence is, mm-hmm. is huge. That's a sound that you heard very early on growing up in Ireland. There's something about that music that just... I, I, it, what does... Well, you tell me. What does that, what does that music huh. give you? What is, how would you... Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to put into words. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um. Honestly, there for me, you know, the music I grew up listening to, my my wasn't entirely Irish. I mean, my dad's a big Roy Orbison fan. My mm. mom loves uh, everything from Elvis to Mario Lanza. You know, right. and, and um, so I had a lot of different influences, certainly, but definitely. I am very fond of the ballads, you know, the stories. I think I was going to say, it, it, it really is the stories mm-hmm, that, that drive that music. And then with the traditional sounds, I mean, I was introduced to that through through my Uncle Des and through the fellows and, and Lillian in Shimsa um, and the Irish community in Saskatoon. So I, I learned a lot about the tunes. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are certain sounds definitely that... Uh, yeah. Apart from singing, which is the voice is an instrument, I must always point that out when people say, "What instrument do you play?" Right. Um, the voice is one, but apart uh, apart from your voice, was guitar the first instrument you picked up? Yes, yes. I and I to be honest with you, <laughs> um, self taught. Yeah, my uncle mm-hmm. Des again showed me a few chords and taught me, and I'd play along with him, but. Um, I I tend I can accompany myself. I don't consider myself a guitar player necessarily, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I'd love to learn how to play. Oh, there's just not enough hours in the day. Mm-hmm. I'd love to learn to play piano and uh, fiddle. And uh, I bought myself um, an octave mandolin. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> I bought an octave mandolin, and I'm trying to teach myself how to play that. So uh, I just I just love it. So tell me about your life now. No, I taught for a number of years, and then I, um, my first album I put out, and it did did well, and I was encouraged. So I took some time off teaching, and I did music full time, pursued it full time. Did a lot of traveling about and festivals, and um, yeah, I got a few really great opportunities with uh, John McDermott. Mm-hmm. Took me out on tour, and and Mary Black. Um, well known Irish singer, she's lovely. She took me on tour of in Ireland as well, and. Few remarkable things happened early on in my career that were, like I said, very encouraging. So I took some risks and uh, enjoyed it very much. And I've since, um, yeah, I've come back. I, I'm teaching again. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love the classroom, teaching full-time English. So it's busy, but I'm managing to find time for my projects, you know, mm-hmm. the musical projects. How did you connect with John the first time, John McDermott? Uh, it was my friend Lynn. When Lynn speaks, I listen. <laughs> so uh-huh. She was the one who encouraged me to learn Caledonia in the beginning. And so when she said, you know, I heard this guy, John McDermott, you know, 
of course he was all over press at that time she said you should send him your stuff <laughs> so mm -hmm. I did and it took me two years to get it to him um, and then uh, I was actually playing at a festival in uh, Ontario and my husband rang me up Greg and said uh, John McDermott just phoned and you're supposed to call him on his cell I was like wow so obviously I figured he got the package and I was it was you know wow what, what am I going to say to John McDermott so I walked around to Ottawa for a bit And I got another phone call about two hours later. I said, have you not phoned him yet? He's phoning here. He wants to talk to you. Wow. Oh, my gosh. So I better phone him. So I did. And we had a nice chat. And he told me that he liked what I did. And, yeah, offered to take me out on tour with him. So it was great. And how long ago was that? That's back already. And I can't believe it. It's already 10 years ago now. And you still maintain that connection? Absolutely. And he's a great guy. He's been very good to me. Yeah. Hey, it's Kevin. I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. Just a quick reminder that the Sascapes podcast is available for free on your favorite podcast app, or you can stream it from your browser. Check out the show notes for the link. On the Sascapes homepage, you'll notice something new under the logo called Sascapes Plus. You can't miss it. There's a big button saying support with a heart icon next to it. I'd love it if you could click on that button and help keep this podcast series going. When Sascapes launched in May 2014, it was the first podcast in the province celebrating arts, culture, and heritage. In fact, you'd have been pretty hard-pressed to find any Saskatchewan podcast. So I'd like to think that we paved the way. It's been because of your support that this podcast is now in its ninth year. Okay, that's it. Enjoy the rest of the episode. What is life like? as a musician you say you you put out your first cd right. how how does that happen for for people who are listening who are aspiring mm. musicians how do you how where does that begin i mean obviously it begins with the music right but when it comes time to get that cd out there um what did you have to go through to get it heard uh It's a lot of work. I don't know if people really want to know that. No, absolutely. You know, they want yeah. to know that I get up in the morning and I have a coffee and I write some songs and go for a while. <laughs> and it's all smoke and mirrors, baby. Right, you right, know? Right, <laughs> right. But it's a lot of um, long hours and yeah. uh, a lot of phone calls and building databases and cold calls and yeah. mailing out lots of uh, bills from the post office. And, you know, yeah, um, yeah it's it was a lot of work to get it out and get it heard. But... You just have to hope that it all comes back in some way, shape, or form. Maybe you don't see the results immediately, but over time. So you don't write with results in mind. You write for you. Oh, writing. Um, no, you're right. My first, the first CD I put out, I wrote, uh, I was experimenting, I suppose, and they were very introspective songs about my journey specifically. Mm -hmm. Um Again, it was another, it was a prof, actually, my Irish lit prof from university, Professor Markin, who had encouraged me through my essays for him to stand back from the politics, stand back from the, the specifics of an event and try to write in a way that other people, let other people in, that they mm -hmm. can relate to it. So I took that as a lesson in songwriting, too. So I hope, I hope that translates. But, um, so does the yeah. lyric come first or the music for you? Well, again, I have to be honest, I haven't written a ton of songs, but of the, the songs that I've written, it's, it's different every time, honestly. 
I'm really not very disciplined. I should, <laughs> I should be more disciplined. You're not the only oh. artist to say that. <laughs> but but um, yeah, I have lots of musical ideas, and I have a couple of collaborations, and I've got a few lyric ideas kicking around. So mm-hmm. I just really need to find the discipline <laughs> to sit down and, and get to work. But you've toured a lot. I mean, you've played a lot of festivals across the country. Yeah, over the years, it's been great. When it when you're out on the road, is that an easy lifestyle for you? Do you, do you thrive on being out there, or do you? I tell you what, no, I love it. I yeah. do. I don't know that I could do it uh, 300 days a year, mm-hmm. honestly. Which is why I I love my life now. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I haven't figured out the balance. Believe me, I tend to be running around putting out fires everywhere, but. Mm-hmm. Um, I do love it, and I find that is the most creative place, too. You must find that when you're yeah. immersed in the music and that environment. It's a very creative place to be. How important is the audience to your performance? Oh, critical. Yeah. Do you think audiences know that? I hope so. I hope that I tell them that it matters. Yeah. I, I'm there. I love entertaining. I just love... Um, it seems very self-indulgent. No, not at all. Not me. at all. I just really do love uh, making people laugh. And mm-hmm. um, like I love to sing. And if people love to listen, that's great. And mm-hmm. I love uh, I love entertaining people. And are you going through your same, are you going through a journey of your own when you're on stage? I mean, as you as you're reliving the music you've written and as you're interpreting the music that inspires you, that you mm-hmm. want to reinterpret, reinvent. Are you going through some kind of a, a process up there? Or are you or are you really just about um, about creating that experience for the yeah, audience? Yeah, I would say so. Mm-hmm. It's about just trying to, you know, like a lot of the songs. I I don't know. It's, I've never thought about that. I mm-hmm. just I really want people to enjoy themselves and and come mm-hmm. away feeling good. Mm-hmm. It do you find it hard when you've become so familiar with the song? To hear the lyric yourself when you're performing it after a while. No, I, mean, I have to concentrate. Yeah. I don't really, <laughs> if I so much as like, oh, that's a lovely hat. Uh-huh. I'm done. <laughs> so I really have to think about what I'm singing. And plus, I always think that if um, you want to be honest, you know, in yeah. the delivery of it, I want to be honest. And so yeah. I want you to believe that I'm feeling that and not thinking about how I'm sounding. Because mm-hmm. I think people hear through that. Right. Audiences are smart. Very smart. Yeah, they let you know. Yeah, they sure do. Yeah. What about your band? Where'd you find the band members? Oh, well, I am so blessed. <laughs> As she lights up. So blessed. Yes? Yes. I bumped into my good friend Jesse Brown. He and I have been playing now, oh, I can't believe it's almost 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, he is fantastic. Uh, I'm really Tell me about him. humble. Jesse Brown is from Albertville, Saskatchewan, mm-hmm. and... Um, He's played with a lot of different musical groups over the years, but we've uh, managed to, we both have a very um, fondness for the, the slow ballads, I guess, the mm-hmm. heartbreaking tunes. Mm-hmm. And he just, uh, ah, I can't even articulate. I just love him. He's like a brother to me. Mm-hmm. And he's um, a beautiful player, and I'm very lucky that he plays with me because he's a genius. And um, we have a lot of fun on stage. He's got a great sense of humor. And... Um, he endears himself to people everywhere we go. So he always, we're kind of this almost opposites. He says mm-hmm. things that I can't believe he gets away with, you know, right. <laughs> and does stuff. But he's so much fun to be around. 
And who else is on stage with you? So that's Jesse Brown. We've mm-hmm. been together a long time. And then um, my husband, Greg Hargarten, is, uh, he plays guitar. And uh, I would say he's a music director for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I met Greg. We actually went to high school together. Did you? We did. But uh, he was a big rock star back then, and I was a wallflower, mm-hmm. so there's no way it would have worked. But uh-huh. We met many, many years later. And he's from a rock, rock and roll background. He's a, and a singer-songwriter in his own right, for sure. And so uh, I twisted his arm into coming and playing, and so, yeah, he's, he's um, solid. He, he plays guitar and ebo and uh, bazooki and some percussion sometimes. So that's the trio, and that's mm-hmm. my the regular crew. And mm-hmm. then uh, over the years, I've been very blessed to play with other players and record with many other musicians. Why are you drawn to ballads? My husband would say it's because I'm Irish and melancholic. I don't know. Don't is, know. Is melancholy inbred in in the Irish? <laughs> I think so. It must be. I don't know. I think I'm a pretty perky person, but right. I I do love the sad stories. You do. I love it. Right. Right. It's that stories of hardship mm. and and growth. But you don't impress me as the kind of person that has sad stories no. yourself. No, life is good.
it's best to leave those tears where they lay. And soon I found your image in my heart, and lilies dance as step by step the miles pass by. ever go through periods of creative blocks? I mean, I live in a really creative house, but my husband Greg is a musician, you know, he's produced, he's a graphic designer, he's a visual artist, so there's always some creative project happening, so I think that's, a, and then teaching high school English, I mean, you're reading poetry, you're mm -hmm. discussing philosophy and reading about history, there's always a million ideas. What grades are you teaching? I teach uh, 9 to 12. How do you find that demographic um, in, in teaching English and in discussing poetry and mm -hmm. things philosophical and esoteric and all? And do you do you find them a challenge to 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 bring on board with that? Uh, I would say that's a tough question. I mean, they're challenging days, right? But I think as long as you leave. The house and make sure you have your sense of humor with you. Right, goes a long way. And but I, I, I guess what I'm saying, we live in we live in a world of 140 characters now. Yeah. Um, and is it is it difficult? And this is a sweeping general statement, I realize. But is it difficult with that generation to 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 begin to foster a way of articulating how something moves them, how how they feel about things? No, I think they're really speaking very generally again, uh -huh. but I think you know people by nature are very I believe they're very creative yeah. and uh, inquisitive and want to figure out how things work. I think the challenge is more for me mm -hmm. uh, trying to keep up with the technology and trying to keep up with the way they communicate. Mm -hmm. right? uh, you can fight it. I've tried that. <laughs> it goes nowhere. Mm -hmm. And believe me, it is a challenge mm -hmm. uh, as far as maybe attention span or as far as uh, I do find somehow the technology can be a distraction to mm -hmm. the task at hand. But I mean, it's again, a challenge for me to keep them motivated and interested. And it's a huge task. I think it always has been. Mm -hmm. yeah. So you just try to keep relevant, right? Yeah. Who, who are your poets that you love? Oh, <laughs> there's a litany. Mm -hmm. I'm a huge fan, William Wordsworth and the Romantic mm -hmm. Poets for sure, mm -hmm. but uh, I'm a big fan of Billy Collins as of late, the American poet. He's wonderful. There's too many, but Billy Collins and, and William Wordsworth, I'll stick with those two top right now. <laughs> That's fantastic. How has Saskatchewan influenced the writing that you've done? You love this <laughs> province. I do. And it's vastly different as far as its terrain from Ireland. Mm-hmm. Does it feed you in any way as you're touring around the province? What are, how are you affected? 
I think anyone who lives here, uh, again, that's a very philosophic question for mm -hmm. Friday okay. afternoon. No, but... <laughs> mm. um, I love the I love the resilience of the people here, their sense of humor, uh, the fact that it's been 30 below for three weeks straight and you expect mm -hmm. to go and play to a, an empty room and it's packed and everyone's joking about cabin fever and having to get out and, you know, it never ceases to amaze me. And uh, the big open sky, mm -hmm. all of those things, the harshness of it. and Again, hardship. Hardship, I know. <laughs> Battle the underdog. Bring on surviving. that hardship. You'd have made a great pioneer. <laughs> no, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. This is intensely um, personal. You don't have to answer it if you don't want to. But are there moments where you become so caught up in the authenticity of the lyrics and your performance that you move yourself i mean are you are you caught up in the emotion and is that a, is that safe as a performer to be to go that deep in the middle of a performance or do you always have to stay one step removed from moving yourself uh i'm still learning those boundaries i think mm -hmm. i don't know there yeah. are times yeah, yeah. it catches you off guard yeah. um there are funny i mean there was one time i had a sore throat and i was uh I had been gargling crushed aspirin or something before and <laughs> drinking Buckley's and, mm -hmm. and uh, I came out to sing and I was on the last song and it was a particularly sad ballad and uh, I got a terrible tickle in my throat oh. and I actually welled up and had tears in my eyes but I was suppressing a cough and, and somebody brought me a, a glass of water that had lemon squeezed in it which you would know is probably right. the worst thing yeah, you could drink everybody wants to suck lemon so no I, I took a swig of the lemon juice and it made it worse and now there's tears streaming down my face and half the people in the front row oh. were just with me thinking i was so upset over this poor lady and the song and what happened to her and I'm like, <laughs> oh, i really have to cough <laughs> it was priceless like, uh. oh, it was awesome so there's those moments. As long as you leave them with the illusion that yeah. you didn't move, that's all that so, so moved. I'm fair clipped. <laughs> <laughs> oh, such silliness. Tell me about your fight to the Supreme Court of Canada. No. no. <laughs> oh, so long ago. Well, you've done your homework. Um, I'll give you that. Um... It's a very short tale, to be honest. That's I, okay. I really, uh, I grew up playing soccer, and I grew up, um, when I started playing, there women's soccer was just getting started. I mean, there were no women's teams, very few, well, certainly no girls' teams. And so in high school, I played on the boys' team and, and uh, you know, fought for a spot and, you know, did okay at it, and everyone was wonderful and supportive and encouraging, and uh, it was great. And then I had a chance to try out with Canada's national team, which was my dream. And um, again, at that time, I had been playing with my brothers. And it, to me, playing on the boys' team wasn't a, wasn't a big deal. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the guys were respectful, and I appreciated that and um, didn't want any special privileges. I just wanted to play the game and, and train really hard. And um, so there were some... Yeah, it, we've all mended our ways now. We're mm -hmm. all good pals, but... There was an issue with me playing on the boys' team, uh -huh. and so I it was men, and it wasn't like it was men's first division or anything crazy, but it was good soccer and playing with my brothers. And um, the only reason they gave me was because I was a girl, and so I said, "Well, that doesn't doesn't seem right. If they are okay with me playing and I can handle it there, then 
what I don't get what the issue is. So yeah, it kind of just went from there. <laughs> I made a couple calls and well, yeah, you, don't, so. you don't just you don't just call the Supreme Court of Canada and say. Can I talk for a moment? No, I phoned uh, just the Human Rights Commission and um, oh. hoping that it would just go away. I just wanted to train and I wanted to play and I was quite happy playing on my, my brother's team. And people put roadblocks up for me, so I don't take too well to that. <laughs> so what was, the, what was the process so, at their end to, um, to change that? Well, they just had to change the, the ruling and make it so that girls could play in. I have to say, like mm -hmm. since then, women's soccer has come leaps and bounds. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I suppose I do think it's it's worth noting that it's not for everybody. You know, I wouldn't want to see all girls playing on boys' teams. And I, I do you know what I mean? I, you have to have. You have to I just be at think a certain that place. if you can, if you can earn it, because I don't yeah. think I wouldn't want to see it change the game for the boys. You mm -hmm. know, like for men, uh, because by nature they are. I would want them to see me as a soccer player, and, mm -hmm. and uh, I couldn't do it now. <laughs> you know, I couldn't take the knocks. I'm playing co-ed, and I'm, I'm hanging on. <laughs> I was gonna, <laughs> yeah, so yeah. are you still playing? Oh, yeah, I play right. with the Laverty, the Laverty boys, and my brothers again, and we have fun in the co-ed league. And it's just fun. It's a How many Laverty league. boys are there? I have three brothers and one sister, and uh -huh. then I have, uh, you know, the sisters-in-law and the, and the brother-in-law and nephews who all play. So it's, it's great to get all of us out playing. It's really fun. Nothing like sibling rivalry. Yeah, sport, a little bit. Right? Yeah. No, we're Are you coaching fun. soccer at school? Where you? I did for many years. I coached mm -hmm. it at uh, both the boys' senior team and the girls' senior team at the schools I was at. A lot of good memories there too. Yeah. Back to the musician part of Eileen Laverty. What do you think about the? phenomenon we're now living in of the overnight success next big star reality show <laughs> um, concept versus the hard work that it takes um, for the vast majority of we'll just speak to Canada right. of Canadian musicians um, lest we think that that is the only real viable way to to make it in this business you're here to say that's not so? Well, you've brought up two good points. Yeah. First of all, the um, let me just briefly address the make it term. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I guess it. I th I've had a lot of, it's been a long journey, and I wrestle with what it means to make it, you know. And, uh -huh. So do you need to have the multi-million dollar record deal touring the world if that's make it? Or do you get to teach part-time and play part-time and and have creative projects that you're working on and be an auntie and a sister and play co-ed soccer? Does that make it too? You know? Right, yeah. I think everyone has to define that for themselves. Mm -hmm. But certainly, I mean, it would be nice to, you know, have a big bank account. <laughs> and but be beyond to, the monetary know. value, is there something that, is there... Something that gets built up um, as far as your integrity as a musician just by having to live this life, which is not easy, and, mm -hmm. and you know, l baby steps. Um, right. Is there something inherent in that that makes you the artist that you are versus a fast track overnight kind of kind of road? I mean, how do you how do you mature as an artist when that's handed to you on a plate? Right. Right. And I think that 
um, again, that's the other point is the overnight success. I mean, mm-hmm. there's they joke about it in the industry all the time that it mm-hmm. it takes ten years to be an overnight success. Right. Um, and it goes back to my first comment about the mm-hmm. that we as the general public like to think that someone was discovered, but when you right. when you do your homework, you find out they've actually been working away at it for a long time. Uh-huh. And it takes a certain combination of breaks and and mastery and all of those things that yeah. that help you along the way, but. You're right. The the shows, I think. Um, I don't like that they feed that notion that you can be discovered, and especially young kids mm-hmm. um, who are swept out of their so-called normal life and then, you know, put on this uh, this whole other whirlwind where they do lose themselves. And mm-hmm. I think there's a danger of that, and we see that all the time. People crashing and burning, sadly. And being used, uh, and that hasn't—that's been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. If you go back, even all um, a lot of the the bands years ago were—they're working day jobs now that sold multi-million-dollar records because of the the environment they were in, you know, the mm-hmm. industry and the people who manipulated them. So mm-hmm. there's always that danger. Mm-hmm. And as far as the the overnight shows, the shows that promote that, I think that. It could be it could be a great stepping stone for some, a great leg up. Mm-hmm. There's absolutely nothing wrong with having been exposed to that size of an audience. Right, right. If you have people in your corner and, and you yourself are savvy business wise and can know and recognize that opportunity and what that could do for you. Right. And I mean you're never gonna compete with the money and all of that. That's at that level, but certainly that exposure isn't gonna hurt. I just you're right. I would worry about especially young people who haven't developed as an artist or haven't figured out what they deem important in mm. life and how they decide what is make it. Again, right. it's very philosophical. Right. So for the for the young person out there who may happen upon episode number 25 of Sascapes who listens to you and is not going to have that opportunity to fall into yeah. um, an overnight success right. show, where do you begin? What What... What would you tell somebody who came up to you and said, or, or do people come up to you and say, I would really like to do what you're doing yeah. um, for, for a living? Um, how do you start? Uh, yeah, it's you have to do it because you can't think of anything else you'd rather do. You absolutely have to do it because you love doing it. If you're doing it for any other reason, if you think that I'm just going to do this until I get there, well, mm-hmm. there never exists. It just keeps moving. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this keeps getting bigger and busier. And, and yeah. so you have to do it because you love to do it and you can't imagine doing anything else. Yeah. But you seem to have come to a place in your life where you found a balance that in your own world feels like having made, Oh, having, I have you fooled. <laughs> no, but yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, I know as far as recon- reconciling <laughs> yeah. your love of teaching right. and your love of music right. and letting that be enough and complete enough and sort of go along for the journey musically as it unfolds for yeah. you without getting up feeling tormented every morning that... I haven't gotten there yet. I mean, that you seem... And and maybe that comes with the maturity of the business, again, that you can't experience an overnight success? It's... I don't dream about the overnight success, but I... I mean, let's be honest. This week, I'm okay. (laughs) 
you know, there are times when I feel like, okay, I, what would life be like if I did more of this? Or what would life be like if I let go music? But I, then I can't even think that. I mean, I'm going to be playing and singing and hopefully writing and, and learning more about writing mm-hmm. um, and keeping the projects going. I just literally move from project to project and I, I feel very much alive there. Mm-hmm. And I also, when, when the classroom is really good, I love it there too. And I, I missed it when I was on the road you yeah. know, for long periods of time. So I'm very lucky. I count myself very fortunate to have the best of both worlds. It's, it's, um, yeah, I'm not going to complain. It, mm-hmm. It's, uh, but it's there. Are, there are days when I'm, I'm in crisis too. I certainly haven't found the balance. Well, I'm not sure you'd be an yeah. artist if you weren't tormented yeah, on some enough. level by your art. <laughs> right. I think that's sort of. I think yeah, you kind of enough. buy the torment card when you sign up for this deal. Oh, nobody warned me about that. <laughs> right, right. It's just, it, but it hopefully, in the best of all possible worlds, that also feeds your your art. Exactly. You know, and and how you write, and it propels you forward. I mean, wouldn't would it not be the death of an artist if they said, "Well, that's it. I really, I'm good. I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm here. I've arrived." <laughs> yeah, no, this is I it. So. I mean, you you really couldn't do that, right? No. Do you have young people come up to you at the end of performances and say, "Can I talk to you sometime about?" Oh, sure. Uh-huh. I have had, and I'm also fortunate at. Uh, you know, working with young people at the school as well, I have a great opportunity to encourage young people to pursue their dreams and goals, much to their parents' chagrin, I'm sure. But you could be an artist. Pick something sensible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lock, it's overrated. You right, know? right, right. Oh, in the arts, right. it's all good. Right. I'll talk to mom, don't worry. <laughs> um, but no, I, I, uh, I love that too. I find that really rewarding. It's uh, how many talented young people are out there and mm-hmm. when they share their talents. I, I help out with the variety night at our school now too. So it's, mm. that's a real treat. I'm just yeah, blown away by the talent. But because opportunity is so fleeting, you would caution people to let this life as a musician be your sole reason for getting up every day. Uh, I think my philosophy has always been, and what I tell Again, what I would encourage young people, not that I have it figured out, certainly, but my own philosophy has been uh, that life will always offer opportunities. Mm-hmm. It's always about recognizing them mm-hmm. and being ready for them. So prepare yourself. So if it's music that you want to do, then you know, study, learn, jam, play, mm-hmm. write. Just be prepared so mm-hmm. when the opportunity comes along, you're ready to grab it. Mm-hmm. And that would, you know, whether that's uh, traveling, I'm a big, you know, anytime you get a chance to travel, you should do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just trying to find a way to make it work. So my humble opinion, that's my own personal philosophy is, like like I said, life's always going to toss you some idea or some opportunity. I'd always hope to be able to say yes and figure out how to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Where have you traveled that just totally plugged you in and made you just feel so unbelievably inspired or does every uh, place you get to there are a few special places but mm-hmm. uh, and I'm not the truly I love northern Saskatchewan mm-hmm. uh, paddling mm-hmm. um, way up north I've had very few ex- like chances to go and mm-hmm. whenever I get a chance I try to make that go mm-hmm. um, is it the solitude of, of, of life there paddling and yeah like mm-hmm. when when you're driving up there I mean I go with the school. Mm. We just went this past June, so I wasn't alone. I was with, you know, there were 28 of us. Mm. But uh, 
it's this idea of on the way there, all you can think about is I forgot to do this. I didn't make that call. I forgot I could have done this. I should have, I shouldn't be going. I have so much to do. And then when you're on the water the first day, all you have to do is just, you know what, I mean, just survive. That's all you have to do today is survive, you know, and just get to the next spot, set up camp and and enjoy the people around you. And uh, you, you can't answer your phone. You can't mail out a package. You can't do anything. And I love that. I just uh, then I find that I'm really tapped in and rejuvenated. So I love that about being up north. It's important that you find that at least touch base with that feeling of being disconnected back here in, in, in the city. Do you do you love your alone time? Ah, uh, no, I I do I do, <laughs> yeah, but, but yeah. I'm a social butterfly for right, sure. Right, right. I want to catch up with everybody and yeah, right, yeah. right, right. The extrovert. I am very much so. Right. Right, and you've been back to Ireland. Mm-hmm. You have relatives still there. Oh, plenty of relatives. Right. I love it. Keep in touch with all of them. Right. Have you played in Ireland? I did. I was did um, very fortunate. Mary mm-hmm. Black took me on tour with her, played with her for a couple of weeks around Ireland, and then uh, had a follow-up tour on my own. That <laughs> was a big, big change. Uh, but I went back the following year and did another little tour on my own, which was fun. Yeah, it's good. Good memories. Yeah, I'd like to do more traveling now that mm-hmm. you say that. Have you ever had the opportunity to go to any of the home, the homes or the grave sites of, of any of your favorite poets? I've uh-huh. been to, to Stratford-upon-Avon and mm-hmm. Shakespeare's yes. tomb and, and hometown, and that was fun. And uh, uh, many of the favorite poets are also buried in Westminster Abbey in London. Yes, yeah. It's not a great feeling when you oh, when you stand Lord's there. Oh, Corner, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm standing by the Brownings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, been to Ben Balbin and um, Yeats's tomb. Mm-hmm. Not that I went there for specifically for that, but just like, right. hey, look, guess where we are. Well, you have to. <laughs> you have to say you were there. Exactly. I'm yeah. going to... Use you as a guinea pig because I've been, I, I, I want to implement this into the podcast. There are a series of 10 questions that are very popular. I don't know if you've ever seen Inside the Actor's Studio, hosted by James Lipton, that's on no. PBS. He asks 10 questions. He interviews artists, just one-on-one, much like we're doing now, actors. Um, at the end of every chat... He goes to these 10 questions. They all get asked the 10 questions. They're not his 10 questions originally. Originally, they came from the series um, Bouillon du Culture um, uh, that was hosted in France by Bernard Pivot. So they're not originally James James Lipton's questions. Well, there are no calculus questions. I'm good. They're not. They're not (laughs) math questions. they're, They're extremely esoteric. Um, in nature, and there's no right or wrong answer, and and you can say pass okay. if you want. There's only ten, and they're very short. Okay. What's your favorite word? Imagine. Hmm. What's your least favorite word? No. Is there a least favorite emotion in the word that goes with it? Least favorite emotion? Anger. Hmm. Uh, what turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? I would have to say music, art, and the outdoors. Not necessarily in that order. Mm-hmm. 
and maybe all together would be amazing. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> what turns you off? When cats dig up my garden, it makes me nuts. Does that happen often? <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. There, it took a while, but I, I, I can see. You there you car. go. You I dug deep for that one. <laughs> and so did the cat. Yes. What's your favorite curse word? <laughs> oh, man, I don't know. Favorite curse word. That's a good No, I don't know that one. Favorite curse word. What sound or noise do you love? Sound or noise do I love? I love the sound of the illin pipes. I know that's really corny. The sound of the what? The illin pipes, the Irish bagpipes. Oh. Irish pipes. The yes. Illin pipes. Uh-huh. Um, I love the sound of... Uh, these are all really corny. The illin pipes, the ocean. I love the sound mm-hmm. of the ocean. That's not corny. I love the sound of the loon. Mm. Quintessential Canadian sound. Yeah, I love it. I know. What sound or noise do you hate? The sound of cat digging. The sound of cat digging in my garden, yeah. Uh, The sound of a truck backing up at 6 a.m. in Uh, the neighborhood under my bedroom window. Right, that Uh, that annoying beep, beep, beep. Right, right. If you couldn't be a musician, and if you couldn't teach music, and if you couldn't play soccer, and if you couldn't be a soccer coach, what profession, other than your own, would you like to attempt? Oh, it'd be fun to make movies. Actually, you know what? Seriously, mm-hmm. I wish I was funny, because I'd love to be a comedy writer. And, I, you know, be in skits and things like SNL. I'd like to be a writer for SNL and maybe maybe guest star once in a while. <laughs> You may have noticed that you've made me laugh once or twice. I'd say you were on your way there. No, I don't know about that. What profession do you think you'd least like to do? Mm, Undertaker. (laughs) I don't think I could do that. I know. know. (laughs) I don't. I've met a couple. Yeah. And you just... I know. I don't know. I don't think I... Or kindergarten teacher. (laughs) (laughs) God bless my sister-in-law. I couldn't do it. (laughs) She teaches kindergarten? Yeah. Okay, here's a really esoteric one. This is number 10. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? (laughs) You rocked it. (laughs) You rocked it? You rocked it, Laverty. Yeah, I don't know. That's funny. I like you, Rock. Rocked it, yeah. Yeah. I'll think about it. I think that's probably about the only time you want to hear that. You never, because again, it's about, it's about, there, done, I'm good. Right? Okay, well, the other thing is, uh-huh. uh, if if hell exists, and yeah. when I get there... Oh, that's it. That's question, <laughs> question, that's question 10A. Question, <laughs> good, okay, yeah. yeah. If hell exists, yeah. <laughs> and uh, the big guy meets me at the gates, what do I, what do I want to hear? Yeah. Come on in, Larry, your friends are all here, and you two's <laughs> playing. <laughs> and there's tunes playing? No, yeah, you two's playing. Uh, you too. <laughs> oh, your favorite bands are here. Yeah, that would be great. You too is one of your And your husband band. can dance. That would be a big oh. one. <laughs> <laughs> That's why your husband's in the basement right now, so you can feel free oh, to yeah, say things like awesome. that. Not a big dancer, your husband. 
The guy's a musician and a drummer, but he claims he doesn't have any rhythm. I don't believe it. I think it's a cop out, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's very funny. That's funny. That's a that's a very humorous note <laughs> to end this on. I think you've got a pretty fine life. You you seem very grounded um, and very satisfied and very open to the moment. Well, thank you. I I feel very blessed, very fortunate. We're hearing you gig around town often, and I'm sure there are people saying, hmm, wonder what she's like. And now we know a little bit more about you. Oh, you. Well, thanks for taking the time to get to know me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for coming along for the ride. Thank you. Thanks for listening. The Sascapes podcast is created by Kevin Power as part of the Culture Days Animateur program operated by Sass Culture. Funding to the cultural sector is provided through the Saskatchewan Lotteries Trust Fund for Sports, Culture and Recreation. If you want to hear more of these podcasts or to see the great work being done by other Sass Culture animateurs, please visit www.iheartculture.ca. Special thanks to Paved Arts in Saskatoon for their technical support. Sascapes podcasts are also available through the iTunes Store. Music for Sascapes is provided by Saskatchewan-born singer-songwriter Jeffrey Straker. There is no end to the stories to be told. So, until next time...